Welcome to the Tom Kenny Podcast. I mean, for the fans. Welcome to the Tom Kenny Podcast, episode 020. Today I have with me a very special guest. She is a senior associate dietitian currently working at the New York Nutrition Group. She holds a bachelor's of science in dietetics from the University of Delaware. She has a master's in nutrition with a concentration in entrepreneurial nutrition uh, from the College of St. Elizabeth. She specializes in weight loss, sports nutrition, general healthy eating, and I'm sure a bunch more that we can talk to. Rachel Lee, how you doing? What's going on? I'm good. Feeling good. Weather's finally starting to calm down a little bit. So getting outside is a little bit easier and going on those walks. Happy about that one. I totally agree. And I mean, I'm assuming just for the audience that New York Nutrition Group means you're based in New York City. Um, Yes, absolutely. We're based. We're actually a bunch of locations throughout New York City. Um, So depending on where you are, we're kind of like Murray Hill area or like by Central Park or... Thank you. I know we have some locations in Brooklyn. I think some in Long Island as well. So it is very nice. And we also do virtual appointments as well. So awesome. uh, if you can't get into office, we do have both offered to people. Awesome. Yeah. New York City, I, I don't know how you feel, but it feels like it's finally starting to coming back. Um, a lot of storefronts are finally like really filling up. I'm seeing a lot more people on the streets. So it feels like we're finally coming out of like the COVID haze. Um, yes. And it feels like a lot of people are trying to go back into office too. It's like that. I always find it funny when I have a client who's like 22, 23 years old and they're like, yeah, I have to go into office. I'm like, this is the first time in like the working world that you're physically going in somewhere. Like, yeah, it's so weird. I'm like, it's nice. It's nice. It's good to put on some real clothes. Yeah, for, yes, for real. <laughs> um, and we're in, uh, but before we uh, we get into your bio, were, was your, um, what is it like the nutrition group your company were you guys in a person the entire time throughout COVID is that how you started doing the virtual sessions or so literally I feel like I remember it was like March 19th or 18th it was like everybody I think you could have always gone in person if you wanted to but Mm -hmm. myself and I believe majority of the dietitians just decided to go completely virtual Mm -hmm. um I was in person for a little bit but now I'm back to being virtual um so i personally see everybody virtually at the moment but there are a handful who are seeing in person um but I don't think we ever went completely virtual depending on um everybody's preference so yeah yeah I, yeah it definitely feels like the uh the American public's preferences for virtual and like zoom and all of those different products is definitely skewed and then that, now you're actually starting to see it like come back a little bit but don't want to get off too off topic. Um, want to give you, as I give all of my guests, the opportunity to introduce yourself, uh, a little bit about your philosophy, who you are, or any pertinent information that you think the guests should know. Yeah. So like you said, my name is Rachel. I'm a registered dietitian. Um, I have been practicing now for, I think it's been about six years. So it's pretty cool. Um, seen a lot within the field, um, kind of have my background in working in small private practices for like bariatrics. And then I went to clinical working in hospitals and nursing homes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now I'm obviously working for the New York Nutrition Group. I've been here for about three years. 
Um, I do definitely consider myself more of an anti-diet dietitian or diet neutral dietitian, um, trying to more fit the diet for the person versus finding like the, well, it's finding what works best for the person versus being like, this is your specific diet, go and run with it. That that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, so that's my, my philosophy is like, we, we don't, I, I work with you to make it so it is individualized versus just cookie cutter, um, very much into health and, and body neutrality, understanding our body, not mm-hmm. always having to hundred percent love our bodies all the time, um, mm-hmm. but understanding kind of like what our bodies do for us. So like, for example, there's just days where I'm like, oh, I, can't, I, I hate how I'm looking in my clothes and blah, blah, blah. I kind of remind myself that like, wow, it's really cool. My body got me up in the morning. I nourished it with a really great breakfast and brought me on this really great run. And I feel so like the endorphins are here and that's that's cool versus, you know, I always have to be happy and positive all the time because us New Yorkers are not that way. <laughs> Yes, I yeah, I, I don't think that's the base state of most New Yorkers is happy and energetic yeah. and excited. Yes. Um, so along that same vein, um, how did how did you get started, or or either from your childhood or high school or college? Um, at what point did you know you wanted to take this as a per- career path? And you know, what are some of the major events that led led you to this path? Yeah, so I've always had an interest in food. Um, since I was younger, it was something that I was always into cooking, um, always very much into eating. Um, you know, I had my own relationship with food that, you know, times it was a little more skewed than others. And I think that's what really got me into wanting to understand diet because diet culture is just such a crazy toxic place for where we are in this world. And I just wanted to be in a place where I could help others understand it. But I also was very into health. I grew up with a mom who was a nurse, my grandma who was a phlebotomist. I'm hoping I said that correctly. Um, (laughs) Oh, wow, that's an interesting family. (laughs) Yes, a very interesting family. So, you know, growing up, I was like, maybe I'll be a nurse. This is so cool. Because like, you know, dietitians only really got their claim to fame like recently. It's about a hundred year old career. So it's really not that old of a career. Yeah. Um, So my mom, who obviously worked in hospitals and knew people, she really didn't want me necessarily going down the nursing route because for her, she was like, oh, it's so grueling. Let's find something that's not as crazy for you. She's like, you're going to be a dietitian. So I'm like, yeah. cool, let's do it. Awesome. Um, yeah. So again, the nice thing of having a mom who's a nurse, I got to really meet a lot of dietitians. And like, this really brings the medical and the food side of it and combines it together. So definitely younger age was very lucky. Kind of got that foot awesome. in the door. Yeah, it's funny. I find a lot of people who are in a, like a, a not a grueling career, but uh, I'm struggling to find a better word. They, um, no matter how rewarding, they're like, oh, you shouldn't do this. You should do some tangential career. Like you don't want to be a, a mechanical engineer. You want to be electrical or, or whatever it is. So it's funny that your mom mentioned that. Um, but before we go further into your story, um, something that kind of caught my attention was, do you want to define for the audience what diet culture is? Um, and either just some of the positives or negative. I mean, it seems like pretty negative. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of like the right way to really define it. Um, but it's kind of like the belief that like the, like, I'm trying to, sorry, I'm trying to really think, cause always never asked me the definition of diet culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like it's like a newer phrase that we're hearing more. It's when I saw a meme the other day that was saying like, um, 
we've made up this terminology of diet culture because we're so sensitive. And I'm like, I just don't think that's true. <laughs> um, but in my mind, diet culture is like a way of almost making us feel better about our bodies and how we look and feel about ourselves and saying that you have to do this specific diet in order to look this specific way. And then coming up with food rules and food habits that then become something that we strongly believe in mm -hmm. uh, and just aren't true. And now we feel like we have to control our body by being on a particular diet. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's the best. I think if I was to define it myself, that's how I would go about it. Got it. Yeah. And there's this, uh, th there's this idea that, um, you know, like practice over theory. And that I, I think with diet culture, a lot of times somebody will hear um, a specific diet, whether it be keto or all meat or vegan or whatever it is. And in theory, it sounds really great. And then they put it in practice and they're like, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but they're like, oh, I'm so lethargic or I'm gaining weight or I don't know what my goals are. And it's like, I, I think you're hitting on exactly. It's like, that's the, that's the toxic part, right? Oh yeah. Feeling like, and it's like, again, we're cutting out a specific macronutrient, which I'll define macronutrient as a protein, carb, or fat. Mm. Yeah. Protein, carbs, fat. <laughs> um, and we were as human beings, we were meant to eat all three of those. Like our bodies need those to survive. And the fact that all of a sudden somebody's now turning to you and saying, no, you're not, mm -hmm. just makes it unhealthy. So yeah, it's, and, and, you know, they call it the keto flu for a reason. You're not going to feel good on oh, it. Like so, yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's a very real terminology because you're actually, your body's preferred source of fuel is actually carbohydrates. The only time that keto, I feel like I'm going, I'm like nerding out a little bit, but the only time that keto has been used was really for children with epilepsy because they found their brains actually had a, an adverse effect with carbohydrates where the glucose was causing them to have seizures. So they started keto for them. Oh, interesting. How like the average individual who obviously doesn't have epilepsy, they don't need to be on that. So now all of a sudden you're taking these carbs out of your body and you're kind of feeling really crummy and mm -hmm. you're getting this flu-like feeling and people are like, why? I'm like, because you're not fueling your body the way it wants to be fueled. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, if you put the wrong fuel in your car, you're not going to get as far. Exactly. Got it. A dietitian who used to use that all the time. Um, so then you're at home. You're, uh, your mom basically says, hey, you're not going to be a nurse. You're going to be a dietitian. Mm -hmm. um, you go to the University of Delaware. Did you know from the get that you were going to be a dietitian? Or if so, then what's the process of that? Do you need a master's? What are the qualifications on a state level? Or mm -hmm. You know, walk us through that. Yeah. So I was like that annoying person who went to college being like, I'm going to be a dietitian. I'm not going to like go in and try anything else out. This is what it's going to be. And I was really fortunate because I really did love my classes. Um, so right away went into it. The other thing is the nutrition field does not, not a lot. There are a decent amount of schools that do have the program, but there are actually a decent amount that don't. So I had to be very specific of where I was going to apply to. Uh, mm. And so I applied there, like funny enough, like the person that had been my roommate was also a dietitian. Oh, that's so, so funny. Yeah, like that, it, it made it so much better because we got to study together and work together. And um, so, you know, it was De like Delaware was a great school to really get us prepared for it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to remember all of your questions. Um, yeah, just basically what the process is. Go to Delaware, then you yeah. get your master's or. 
Yeah. So when you first applied to school, like obviously we didn't really know what was the next steps because it is still so new to us. Like again, my mom's thinking they're nursing realm. So she's like, great, you'll go out, you'll get a job. I'm like, just kidding. <laughs> With that heading internship, which now I believe you absolutely do need to get a master's or maybe it's 2024, you'll have to. Um, but it's basically four years, like busting your butt because they do a, um, I kind of call the dietetic internship, the same thing as sorority recruitment. I don't know if you know anything about it, but yeah. yeah so you go to open house, you meet the different schools, um, then you do your interview with them and then you rank them, they rank you. So oh, oh, that's funny. Yes, it was probably, and then everybody finds out on the same day, which I think is like, it's probably like the most awkward, like Monday or Tuesday of your whole entire senior year, because it's like half the people get in, half the people don't. So Oh, really? Oh, people don't get in. It's not like, no, it's like really competitive. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah it's a, the field has become extremely competitive, especially as it changes and it's become a really popular field. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also, I would say we started out in my class with like 150 people, a giant seminar class. And then I think by the time we graduated, there was 40 of us left. Like, wow. yeah, so they weed us out a lot of like, cause people don't realize too, we, especially at the beginning, Delaware, I think has changed it up a little bit to do more dietitian specific biology. But when I was there, we were with the pre-med students and never. oh yeah, never have I felt more like a fish out of water. Oh, that's um, funny. Yeah. So it was definitely very interesting. Um, so some of those classes you start off on there. So it definitely, it, it weeds people out fast. Um, so, you know, then you do the dietetic internship. I was fortunate enough to get into one that was both an internship program and a master's. So, um, mm-hmm. I did part-time because I was able to work, which was amazing, um, and get more experience. So, um, I finished within like, it was like a year and a half-ish, no, two and a half years, sorry, it was a year of the, um, master's in about a year and three months of the internship. It's the internship is 1200 hours to supervise practice where you'll be placed in a hospital, you'll be placed in a long-term care facility, um, food service, some sort of um, counseling area. Is it, a, uh, is it a combination of all of those things? So you get to see all of the different aspects of it, or is it just one that you do the 1200 hours for? It's, they put you everywhere. You kind of right. switch up. So the, um, and every school has its own little thing. So I remember with, um, okay, I'm blanking on the name of the school. Um, sorry about that. Um, some schools are more counseling, some are more clinical. So I definitely know like with NYU, they're very clinical based. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, you, you kind of, you try to choose a school based off of what you want. Uh, my school definitely did have a little bit more of the counseling side, which I really did like. I'm much more, as much as I love the hospitals, I really love talking to people, being one-on-one. I like being able to see people numerous times over versus mm-hmm. like going to the hospital, asking what's going on, are they eating, like have they gone to the bathroom, mm-hmm. what can I get them, and then either I do see them again or never to be seen again, so you know, it's, it's a different world. And I feel like everybody kind of finds their niche. Um, and then after that, you take the dietetic intern, the dietetic exam. So it's, um, again, you're going to sit, you're going to study. And then the crazy thing with this exam is like, you're sitting there and they tell you if you pass or failed on the spot. Oh, but like, really? oh, yeah. That, that must be nerve wracking. 
it is so nerve-wracking and I'll like let you in on like a little secret which I feel like the board is going to come after me the, I think the funniest part is before they tell you if you pass or fail they're like please take a survey on how this was oh that's so funny <laughs> sitting there your palms are sweating like literally just and you're like I don't want to take a survey right now I want to know if I'm a dietitian yeah exactly yes so and then once that's said and done you you're in the academy and you're off awesome so, yeah so then you go through this whole process you you pass well actually first you do the survey then you then you find out that you're, you find uh, out you pass yes <laughs> um so what what does your early career look like directly after that and then how does that relate to what you're currently doing with the new york nutrition group so I started out in uh, the world of bariatrics, which was a very interesting life. I actually really enjoyed myself there. Um, it was a very, it was a small private practice. Um, bariatric surgery is like the bypass surgery, sleep gastrectomy. It's for essentially people who are morbidly obese with comorbidities such as diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol. You don't always need to have that in order to get the surgery, but it's part of the pre-qualifications to have it. So what I really liked about that was I learned how to be on a team base with it. So I worked obviously with the doctor. I had another dietitian. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a PA, nurse practitioner, and a therapist. And like I kind of learned really the importance of why nutrition, like dietitians and therapists, need to work alongside together. Um, I don't want to say all or not, but like one thing that I did learn from being in bariatrics is kind of how to work with people with eating disorders. Not that everybody who goes in for bariatric surgery has an eating disorder, but you do tend to see binge eating disorder, compulsive eating disorder, or you could see the other side of it after surgery of like anorexia or even purging. Yeah. Or even like laxative abuse. So um, I, that was kind of when I first started getting glimpses into that world and ideas of like, how this is happening. Um, it also kind of gave me the idea of like, you know, what does a healthy lifestyle look like compared to what it doesn't? How do average Americans eat compared to what average Americans do? Like, so those were the sides. So I, I stayed there for a little bit. Um, one of the biggest struggles was the commute. It was, I was living in Manhattan and I was commuting back to New Jersey and it was early hour, early mornings, late nights, just trying to live my young life. So Got it. For anybody who doesn't know, that's a hell of a commute. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. And I, I think I had to be there at like 745. So I'd be up at like 430 in the morning to catch oh, like no. a 530 train. I was going to say, were you taking the path that whole time? I was taking New Jersey Transit. Uh, fortunately, it was like by where my parents live. So they would pick me up, I would like go to their house. They would like, I would like maybe like sleep for like 15 more minutes and then I would go into work. Um, but yeah, no, I, the path would have been probably a little bit easier to go to, but mm-hmm. at that time I was like, oh, I'm just going to be bougie and do, uh, the path station now, not the path <laughs> station, but I'm oh. all about the path now. <laughs> got it. Got it. So, um, and then currently what, what does your, uh, day-to-day look like at, uh, New York nutrition? Yeah. So basically day-to-day I'm seeing, I'm client facing, um, the nice thing with, I feel like with this job is that like. When we're on, we're on. We're seeing people. When we're off, it's like I do do some side work with my boss to kind of help out with um, anywhere that I can. Um, I'm, but you know, it's like I feel like I hear a lot of times with people, it's like when I'm done with work, I'm taking work home with me. With me, it's like maybe there's somebody that I'm thinking about after, just to be like, hmm, how can I help them in another way? But the nice thing is, is I get to kind of log off and decompress. Yeah. Um, but essentially, I'm really just client facing um, throughout the day. I am a full time 
um, staff members. So I do see a decent amount of people. I do about 30 minutes to an hour session with each person. Um, and yeah, and we go over like what their diet is, what's going on. Has anything changed in the past couple of weeks? I, I do see anywhere from every week to every other week. Some people are monthlies. So just trying to kind of figure out like what, um, what is best for them. Um, and yeah, so that, I mean, that's basically a day in the life, not too glamorous, but it's fun. Got it. And then, um, so what are some of the benefits or, or like when, when you first meet somebody, if you want to just walk through of like how you're thinking about approaching on an individual level, and then like, what are some of the benefits of working with either you in particular or just dietitians in general? Um, yeah. So when I'm first meeting somebody, I'm definitely thinking individualized care. We, one of the first things we do during our sessions of an, of a initial is I'll find out what they're eating day to day, try to kind of understand what their eating habits are and behaviors. And then afterwards we'll go over, um, goals and a meal plan. I, I kind of tell people my meal plans are a little more blueprinty just because I'm not going to, I've known you now for an hour, maybe from our first session. I'm not going to now turn to you and be like, you need to eat this, this, and this, and only this, because you're going to get sick of it. You're not going to, it's not allowing you to eat the way you want to. So we'll start off with what your day-to-day should kind of look like. And then the next session, we make it even more customizable to your particular taste. I will not like, like, let's say you went on, you like to have McDonald's all the time. Well, then we talk about it and say, well, what can we change up? It's not that we can't have McDonald's, but maybe we'll switch to having McDonald's once a week. And then instead, let's try to go out to Whole Whole Foods and get like the healthier chicken nuggets with Lexia French fries and add like a side salad with it. So that's more or less what I will do with clients. Um, I, I typically will also ask them sometimes, are there any goals that you personally want to have in order to make you feel like you're getting the most out of this. And, you know, a lot of the time somebody will come and be like, no, I want you to come up with the goals. I always also say to people like, here's, here's your goals. I list anywhere from three to seven goals for somebody. And my whole premise behind it is I don't expect you to have felt every single goal by the time we meet. I just want us to have one or two kind of checked off and feeling good about it. Got it. Pressure off ourselves, find the accountability where we can find it. Got it. Yeah. I really like the idea of like just 1% improvement. We're just taking the next right action. It's like, because somebody who's in, um, you know, average health or a little below health or any, any skill set that you're trying or any habit for that matter, just you're trying to build. Um, like if you improve, like if you add too much onto somebody's plate at once, they veer like all the way off <laughs> to, to, and they get to a different goal. Whereas like, if you just add one thing and then another, and then another, it's like, it, yeah. the rate of change might be slower, but you can get definitely to the top, like yeah. eventually. Um, you don't want your diet to be your full-time job along with your full-time job. It's, you'll burn out too fast. Exactly. And then um, what are some of the goals? Like, so you said that you would give like somebody five to seven goals. Would you mind just running through some examples of what that might be? Yeah. So very much dependent on the person. So if it's general health, it may just be increase our healthy fats or increase our <clears throat> healthy car- like carbohydrates, which seems to be a weird one that nobody ever has enough carbs. Or again, sometimes it's literally eating more, eating every three to five hours, having breakfast within two hours of waking up, logging um, meals and snacks. My most important thing is I want you to note any hunger and fullness. If you're having anxiety around food, note what the anxiety is, why we're feeling this way. So 
those are those are the gist of the goals that I'll give. It gets to be a little bit more uh, intertwined once we go into like, are we, do we have an eating disorder? Do we have diabetes? Do we have something like that? But general weight loss or general health um, will kind of go more into like looking into just the funny thing is the hardest goal for most of us to follow is eating breakfast, within, eating breakfast in general, or even eating within two hours. So yeah, I was going to say my breakfast and you're going to hate to hear this, but my breakfast consists of two cups of coffee. And then I eat at noon. <laughs> it's like, I um, hope you don't have reflux. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I've been doing it for so long. It, it's yeah. funny. I started doing that when I was in college and now it's kind of just been like a thing, but I should definitely start eating breakfast again. Yeah. Even if it's um, just with peanut butter. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then what are some of the, cause you just touched on it and I think it might be interesting for maybe not the general audience, but just you know, for people is, um, what are kind of the key signs that either you're talking to a patient or somebody can look inward and say like, Hey, I might have an, um, some problems around food, or I might have some, or, or what are the warning signs of potentially having a, um, an eating disorder? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, we definitely have to vet for it and look very deeply into it. So a lot of the times if I have somebody coming in, I'll notice restrictive behavior or it's when I'll notice like, I mean, they're compulsively exercising and then I'm not eating breakfast until I'm not eating breakfast at all. And then I'm eating at two o'clock or if I am eating breakfast, it's super minimal. It might just like be a protein shake or just a banana. And then there's nothing going on until lunch. And then there's nothing going on until dinner. Um, or if it's, I won't go out for meals for dinner and I'm, I'm really worried about the calories that I'm consuming. So some of the questions that I'm like, I will flat out ask somebody in my initial, do you have a history of an eating disorder? Um, when we're talking about exercise, I will say like, if you took a day off from exercising, how does that make you feel? Mm -hmm. Um, when you go out with your friends for food, do you feel you like you have to look at the menu ahead of time? Because if you don't plan it out, are you going to feel anxiety or stress around it? I noticed that you don't eat any carbohydrates in your whole entire day. Is that a food rule you have? Have you always, so we'll kind of talk about things like that. Um, and they're sneaky things because to, to the average human, they would just look at it and be like, oh, well, maybe that person just eats really healthy. And it's like, mm -hmm. No, there's these, because an eating disorder is a mental health. It's, yeah. it's called the DSM. So it's in there. And we don't realize that these behaviors become like things that we, it's almost like I call it like step, if you step on a crack, you're going to break your mother's back kind of mindset. So mm -hmm. if I eat lunch before two o'clock, my whole entire day is ruined and my body is going to change and I'm never going to have my control back again. Mm -hmm. So I definitely look for factors like that. And I try to question them um, before going forward. Got it. Um, so, you know, those are, those are just like some things to look out for. Got it. Yeah. It's definitely, and, and, and maybe, and maybe you could speak on this also, do you think that those are on the rise to, or, or like, what does like your normal clientele look like? Um, maybe it's changed over the past six years or what, what, who, who's normally coming to you for advice? Yeah. So I would say over this pandemic, actually, it's definitely been on a rise. It's probably, uh, I don't want to say majority because it's, it's probably, it's, it's a decent amount of my clients at this point. Um, 
I, I feel like it's something that has been around for a while, but I do feel like our parents' generation, and it's interesting to think this way, like if someone had an eating disorder for when we were growing up, it's like, shh, they had an eating disorder. Like mm-hmm. we don't talk about it. Our parents, and I see it a lot with like parents that probably do have an eating disorder, but they never did anything about it. They never talked about it. I think that today what's so amazing about, and I hate to say it this way, but like really millennials and Gen Z, we talk and we are aware of mental health. And it's even with anxiety and depression, like our parents' generation, if somebody had anxiety or depression, it was like, oh my God, no, they don't. Or like they're on medication. Oh my God, don't say anything. Today it's, I I think everybody has a therapist these days. Like so the conversation around eating disorders has become louder because it's no longer something that is, I hate to say it this way, but quote unquote embarrassing. It's something that's like, I need to get help for this. It's an issue and I need to seek the proper care in order to get better. So, but I definitely think there's more of a rise right now with again, diet culture, pandemic, just with the world we're in. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and I mean, this is your point, right? It's like, it's, it's not even that, um, eating disorders may be on the rise, right? It's just that the ones that are currently existing are now being shown. It's like, whereas previous generations, just people, (laughs) as you said, people were just not accepting that they were real. And now it's like, okay, I actually have this issue. I broke my leg. I better go to the hospital. Yeah. Well, I think it's like kind of similar to diabetes. I always like, well, I'll ask somebody in a session, like, do you have a family history of diabetes? And they're like, I don't know. So I'll frame it like this. I'm like, did grandma and grandpa have a little bit of a sugar issue? Like they couldn't have that much because even <laughs> diabetes, you couldn't talk about it. And now it's like, I think everybody and their mother knows someone who has it and it's not taboo anymore. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, yeah, it's also, it's like that you shouldn't play with your health. Um, and it's like to say, Hey, I don't have diabetes or whatever it is. Right. Um, yeah, yeah I, yeah, I think the culture's getting much more open. Yeah. Um, use it well. And then, uh, so for somebody who's coming to you, who doesn't have an eating disorder, mm-hmm. uh, potentially they're coming to you for just general health, weight loss, uh, sports, nutrition, uh, what are the attitudes of somebody who's, who you've seen be successful, um, and kind of just like, what are the qualities that you're trying to instill into your clients of like, hey, this is what a successful diet looks like, or these are what the successful mindsets look like? Yeah. So a lot of time it's all about accountability and routine. Um, it's also not having too much rigidity on yourself. Like, of course, we want to have those vegetables. We want to have the lean proteins. We want to add in those healthy fats. But it's also the person who goes, I really want ice cream. And I'm going to go have it because- yeah then I'm not going to be like, it's not having that all or nothing mindset. It's having that like 80, 20. So I really try to work on that because I do see so often where it's like, I call them my weekend warriors. The during the week, Monday through Friday, they're doing so quote unquote, well, eating like very healthy, not going out of term. Then they go Friday night hits. We're having some drinks. We're going for like some quesadillas. Then Saturday hits, we're doing a boozy brunch, you know, mm-hmm. Sunday, we'll go food shopping, do our thing. But then all of a sudden, Monday comes, we've cooked great. But then Tuesday hits and we have a work happy hour. We're going out with our friends and they're like, crap, I ruined this. I guess diet will start again on Monday. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really try to say to somebody like, 
no, that's not how it has to be. You're allowed to live your life. You are a human being. We just, one of my main things is like, we just went through a pandemic where you were not allowed to be social. Mm-hmm. Go live that social life. Just Wednesday morning, you'll wake up and you'll eat your breakfast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you'll have your lunch, you'll do your dinner and you'll enjoy. And then we'll kind of talk about the weekends a little bit of like, well, why don't we try to make our weekends look a little bit similar to during our week? So I try to say, okay, we can go out for dinner. We can go out for brunch, but maybe if we go out for dinner on a Saturday night, we'll try to like have more stick to what that routine looks like for breakfast and lunch. Or if we're doing a boozy brunch, we'll try to have maybe that healthier, well-balanced lunch and dinner. If you're going to have lunch and dinner after. Um, And, you know, again, we'll try not to have six or seven drinks, but maybe we'll have like two or three drinks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, live the uh, li- live the New York City lifestyle. You're paying so much in rent. It's like, I'm not going to have a drink on a Friday night. 100%. I always think about that. I'm like, you literally are paying to live in like the most amazing city in the world and you're not going to go out and go to that fun bar or restaurant. Come on. like Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, yeah, especially you hit it on it, right? It's like right after a pandemic, uh, when no, and people aren't going to go live their lives. It's like, at what cost? Yeah. Um, but for uh, two, two questions that, uh, that kind of made me think of is, um, do you also, when, it, when you're building up diet programs, well, actually let's back up a little bit. What is the difference between a nutritionist and a dietitian? Yeah, that's a great question. I do get this question fairly often from clients and I feel like from the public, we don't really know because we see both and we hear a nutrition coach. So a dietitian is someone who went to college, did their field in dietetics, then they went on to do their dietetic internship and master's and completed that 1200 hours and became an RD. A nutritionist is literally anybody who likes food, enjoys food, can talk about food. There is mm-hmm. no qualifications. They can't really give information about it. They think they know enough, but it can actually be a little more harmful when they're giving out advice. So Got it. You, uh, you sound like you're describing my dad there. <laughs> yep. I'm sure everybody has that family member who thinks that they know everything about food. <laughs> yeah. And then he ends up switching his diet every, uh, every other week. And it's like, okay. You've got to have that healthy relationship, you know? Yeah. Um, so a dietitian is somebody who actually is like board certified. They, they're registered. You're registered with the state or you just have to pass one test nationally or. So you pass one, uh, test nationally. Um, it's like, you know, there, there's questions about all of this, like that we're like, maybe we should be state by state, but, you know, doctors can still like have a nutrition license and they don't want to, there's a whole thing with it. So we only need to be, which again, nice for my side of it, less anxiety of having to take mm-hmm. a bunch of tests, but yeah. then like New York does have like a certified, like I have my, I believe it's called CDN um, mm-hmm. and you apply for that. So, which actually can cause a decent amount of stress too, because that process can take anywhere from like two months to six months, depending, because you have to send all your schoolwork in. But then, so every state determines whether or not they want that dietitian to have it. And it kind of makes you a little bit more legit. Got it. Okay. So for anybody listening, hashtag for the fans, dietitian. (laughs) Dietitian all the way. Find that RD at the end of their name. Yeah, exactly. If you see a nutritionist, just know they're not actually. I was going to say, basically talking about that. Um, but then um, do you, when you're building out these diet, um, like a diet plan for a client, are you also implementing an exercise routine 
or like if somebody is like training for like they're a high school wrestler or they're a high school like gym gymnast um are you building that into your program or how are you thinking about that yeah so I mean I know we're not being so um like I, I don't typically work with high school if I do work with high school athletes I'll just work food wise with them just because Got they're going to do that mm -hmm. I personally actually work a lot I, I'm actually a marathon runner so I work oh, a yeah. lot yeah, it's, you know, my claim to fame. Um, <laughs> I'm a little crazy. Um, so are you, the, uh, are you running the New York City one? Or do you run not it? this year. I ran New York City in 2019. My most recent half was in New York City half, and I did the Disney Marathon back in January. So oh, nice. Yes, definitely a fun one. Recommend running that if anybody out there is interested in running one. It's a fun one. Yeah, was that in uh, Florida, Cali? What was that? Florida. So wow, nice. definitely a fun one, but it's also, you have to wake up at like two 30 in the morning. Cause it literally starts at 5.00 AM. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I've never had to wake up that early for a race before, yeah. um, but it's a cool one. So um, definitely recommend it. And I do a lot of half. So anybody who ever wants to start running, I definitely recommend looking into like New York road runners. Um, mm. Cause they always have like some fun races. Um, they do not pay me to say that if they did, okay. I would love it, but like, Hey, New York road runners. Uh, <laughs> next, next time you listen to the, to the podcast, they're, they're going to be a sponsor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, you know, like on that side of it, like a lot of the times I'll have somebody come in who wants to start understanding how to exercise. And that's where if I, if I have somebody who doesn't do anything at all, I will prescribe them some sort of fitness routine. Uh, I say prescribe very lightly. Um, yeah. So I will recommend just really getting on and walking for 30 minutes, three times a week. I feel like that's something we can all do is carve out that 30 minutes for ourselves, unless it's pouring. But then I'm also, I'll turn to someone and be like, if it's pouring outside, we were just, again, in a pandemic. There are so many places that you can go and YouTube has a thousand different exercise things. If you want to go and get like the Peloton app, they have things on there as well. They have, um, I think it's Obi, like, you know, there's, there's so many things. So I definitely recommend moving your body for at least 30 minutes, no, like at least 33 times a week. Mm -hmm. Um, if I have like a marathon runner or anybody who's getting into running, we'll discuss what our weekly runs should look like. How many miles are realistic for them? Are we doing weight training? Are we stretching? So I'll give them some exercise goals there, but then a lot of it turns into really food um, and nutrition. So that's where it becomes very customized because at that point, then we need to really understand, are we, do we need to take collagen peptides in order to help with recovery? Are we getting enough hydration? Do we want to try turmeric to help with inflammation? Um, are we getting in those healthy fats? And I, I actually will play around. I never recommend anything I wouldn't take for myself because, okay. you know, it's, it, it becomes one of those things where I'm like, well, I don't know if it's going to work. So <laughs> let mm -hmm. me know if it works for you. And then I can like recommend it. Sometimes if I have somebody else who's been doing this for a while and they they tell me they've been doing it, I'll try it myself. And then I'll be like, okay, great. Keep going. Um, but yeah, I really try to then customize the exercise towards the eating. And again, the eating behaviors, depending on what our activity level is as well. So if we are training for something like that, it's like, well, maybe we need to be eating a little more often because our body needs more fuel. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's very much, once we start really getting into the exercise realm of it and what we're doing, uh, mm -hmm. that's where it becomes like super customized because every person is different. 
Yeah, 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 that definitely makes sense. And then um, what are kind of the differences? Like, so, so say somebody has been working with you for, they come to you, they're in like, okay shape, you build out a diet plan, they're starting to feel great, they're sleeping better, they're starting to do that 30 minutes of walking three times a week or just some light exercise. Um, experientially, like what's the difference that that person can expect to feel from, you know, being in maybe poor health to average health and then to being in like, you know, slightly above to really good health. So I do feel like there's two sides of it. I feel like one, like, I mean, multiple sides of it. I think one, you're actually going to start sleeping better because you're eating better. So (laughs) your sleep isn't going to feel like, oh, I'm detoxing. I kind of feel like, and I don't know if you've ever gotten this where you would, like I said, weekend warrior, you're eating kind of crummy all weekend long. Mm. Uh, and then Monday comes along and you're like, well, I didn't drink Sunday, but I feel like I'm hungover all day on Monday. Mm. It's literally, you have this giant food hangover and yeah. then, you know, you get back into your routine and then by Wednesday, you feel more like yourself. So you'll really just start feeling this increase in energy. Um, you'll start feeling less grog, like less foggy headed. Mm. Uh, you're going to have this ability, like you're going to have this like want to go and do things and get off your couch and um, want to try out things or if your friends text you and say, Hey, like, I think a lot of people think that once we start eating better and exercising our whole lives change. And I feel like a superhero. And unfortunately that's not really what everybody feels or the norm, because it is just, you're going to feel better, but I'm not going to turn anybody like, you're going to feel like a superhero because yeah. it's not realistic. Um, but you definitely will. You're, you're just like, not going to, I just feel like you're not going to feel like that hungover version of yourself, which Mm -hmm. is really common to feel when we're eating foods that don't always agree with us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, just anecdotally, I know um, during the pandemic, I might've put on, you know, the pandemic 20 or the pandemic 30. Um, But then, um, you know, once the gyms really started to open up again and like uh, really life starting to get back to normal, probably at like the tail, like maybe like the middle of 2021 and like things really started opening up. Um, I mean, I felt like coming out of that, I was just in a haze. Like there was just so much mental clog. Um, Mm -hmm. I felt like my attention wasn't like focused and that might be a product of one, not eating, not eating right exercise, but also like the influence of the pandemic and just being inside and not really seeing a lot of people. Um, but I mean like, yeah, like just sleeping better, feeling better, more energy, you want to go and accomplish things. You want to go out and actually live your life. Um, where I mean that, that that's just what I felt. So I, I that really how you should feel once you start making those changes. Like, you know, I'll have somebody be like, I'm not feeling any difference. Like, but do you have energy? Are you going and doing? Cause that's really what it is. We're not going to feel this, like, it's not a happy pill, you know, <laughs> exactly. there's other underlining things is not going to fix that, but it will make you feel more motivated and excited. Like, I don't want to say excited, but just, I want to go and do. No, I got it. And then, um, what are, what, what, what's kind of like the aspects of dieting that a, a new person just traditionally like the biggest habit that people get wrong or like, and I mean, I think you've kind of touched on it with a bunch of the mindsets, but if there's like, like a, a key habit, like, Hey, everybody just breaks their, you know, diet quote unquote on Fridays, or it's like, 
I know there's a lot of stuff that's like you shouldn't eat like like an hour before bed. I'm not sure if you subscribe to any of that or if it's just kind of like BS or whatever. Um, yeah. yeah. So you know, the first thing, the biggest thing is we've already gone over this. Eat your breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> um, most important meal of the day. Um, we want to have that's going to give us our, our energy. I call it hunger chasing. Otherwise, the rest of the day because now you're like I'm waiting to lunch. I'm so hungry. And now it's, I, I'm, I'm feeling like ravenous for the rest of the day. And I just can't seem to catch up with myself. So that's one of the reasons why breakfast is so important. And then I was, I, I agree with you there. I, I just remember growing up of you can't eat after 8 PM. Yeah. And I really was thinking about this, like why, why 8 PM? Like who came up with 8 PM? Because yeah. You know, I don't, I know I go to bed very early, but like, I also know like my brother goes to bed at like one 30 in the morning. So if he finishes eating at, if he's going to be done eating at 8 PM, he's got five hours. Like you probably mm-hmm. have a snack within that three hour realm. Otherwise he's going to go to bed hungry. Mm-hmm. So the way, and like the way I explain, I firstly tell clients like, look, I have a snack before I go to bed. I have a snack within an hour to an hour and a half before going to bed. The only time I recommend somebody probably going more close to that two hours if they have acid reflux, because then they'll wake up feeling that extra burpy feeling or kind of crummy. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the end of the day, your body, your cells have no idea if it's eight o'clock in the morning, eight o'clock at night, three o'clock in the morning, your body just knows it's hungry and wants to be fed. So, you know, your cells aren't turning to you and saying like, oh, you ate, we're going to, this is, this is going to cause us to gain weight. Like our metabolism doesn't slow down. Our digestion slows down when we go to sleep, which is why acid reflux is going to be more intensified in the morning because it takes about three hours for your body to fully digest your food. Got it. So if you go to bed and you're laying down straight, it's kind of going up and down within your stomach esophagus area. And it's just taking a little bit longer to digest. So that's usually why we do that. But the prescribing to stopping eating at eight o'clock kind of has to be canceled because we all, yeah, yeah, part of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's part of that toxic diet culture we were talking about earlier. Um, and then, uh, two questions that I I thought of from there. Um, how long should someone, you prescribe, you prescribe a diet, say that somebody follows it basically to a T, um, with, you know, for six weeks, two months, how long before they should say like, Hey, this diet isn't right for me. When should they start seeing quote unquote results, whatever the metric you want to use to define results are. Um, but yeah, like after implementation, how long should patients expect to see a result? So I typically like try to say, let's give this about three months. It takes about three weeks to really build a habit. But I also say around that time, because there's no good time to start. I always feel like, well, holidays are done. Let's start. It's like, there's no good time to really start because holidays are over. We think July, January 1st, new year, new May, but then mm. I hate to say it's my seasonal depression kicks in and yeah. comfort food. And then we go into the summer and it's like, well, I want to get summer ready or we are in summer. And it's like, well, rosé is everywhere. And I want to mm. hang out. And I want to drink. No one go with my friends. And you know, we have the other piece that we have going into September, it's all the holidays are coming up. So there really isn't a good time, which is why I say, let's give it three, let's start with the three weeks, see how you feel on the diet. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then go into three months. And if we're really not seeing anything within the three months, then let's, 
revisit how we're eating. And that's where I have a client. I, I really like food logs because it allows me to see what's going on. I would say to somebody, the more honest you are, the better. Zero judgment over here. I literally like do not care what you're eating. Like there's no embarrassment needed. It's just the more honest you are, the better it is for me because then I can turn to you and be like, let's adjust this or let's add this in or maybe tweak it on this side. Um, because then we can really see what is what is happening that we're not seeing results. Or sometimes we may just say like, hey, we need some blood work done because maybe mm -hmm. our hormones are not in sync with each other. Or maybe our thyroid um, is not correct and we need to go and get some medication for it and see our doctor. So at least in that side, we can really get a finite understanding. Um, and I feel like the next question is gonna be, how do you define weight loss or how the diet is working? Um, so I define a healthy weight loss about a half a pound to two pounds per week, give or take how the person is. Mm. I personally would rather, I always say like, it's funny. So I'll have somebody like, I failed. I only lost two pounds in the three weeks or the two weeks that we haven't seen each other. Like, why is that a failure? Like you literally did exactly what we wanted, but yeah. because we've been taught we need to lose five pounds in a week. Anything less feels like not enough. And I'm like, well, was this diet feeling sustainable? Did you feel hungry the whole time? Were you cranky did you did you feel like you got to like do things you wanted to and if, if I get a yes like then it's working mm -hmm. uh, so it's also just it's also figuring out what actually is a realistic diet for you um you know I, I tell my clients I'm not here to put you on a low calorie diet you will never see me put somebody on a 1200 calorie diet I, I don't I, I don't subscribe to that it is just not the real world it's not sustainable. So we're looking for something that's sustainable that you can do for long-term um, and also gets you to understand your body too. You know, like our, our bodies fluctuate no matter what. We retain water, we have hormones. We, yeah. some days we lack sleep. So it could also be like, you could have six months of just the most stressful time of your life and your cortisol levels are up and we're not, we're, we're just stressed. So we're not really losing weight. So, you know, we also have to factor in all of the things that can cause your body to respond a certain way. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of like a, a lot of your philosophies and your mindsets that you're talking about, I just wrote down like sustainable, enjoyable and practical. And it's <laughs> like it, and it, it seems to be like you could have anything in your diet, quote unquote, but it's like it, in the right proportions. And then it's like not it, it's funny because a lot of times I'll see people not with diet, but like maybe with like in other realms, they'll take a bad action and then they'll identify and say, I'm a bad person because I engaged in this action. And it's like, no, you just ate a donut or you, yeah. or, you know, like you had fun with your friends on a Friday night. That doesn't mean your diet is broken. That just means like you enjoyed your life. Um, but from there, how important are those genetic factors when either defining weight loss or regular sleep patterns or whatever it is? Yeah. So, you know, genetics definitely, I, I personally feel come into play. Um, and then there's the nature versus nurture side of it as well. But some there it's, we're not all meant to be a size two or size zero. Our, all of our bodies are different. One of the things that I actually bring up a lot is, I don't know if you were a fairly odd parents lover. Timmy Turner. Uh, Timmy Turner. So I don't know if you remember the episode where they're like the gray blobs because he's like so sick of, I think he was like his buck teeth. He was so sick of being so short. And it's so funny because I bring this into play and I'm like, once they became the gray blobs, they were miserable because everybody was the same. Mm -hmm. 
So I always say to somebody like, our genetics are different. Our body types are different. So genetically, we may just be living in a slightly bigger body. And we just have, it's not necessarily to come to terms with it, but we just have to understand that like, if getting to a smaller body means that we have to restrict so strongly that we can't even live our lives, it's not worth it. And, you know, it's, there's a reason why we're living in this body. We're different. We're unique. We're beautiful in our own way. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm always telling people, go watch that episode because you'll learn, you'll respect your body in a different way at the, in, in your late twenties, early thirties, than when you were watching that as a child to me, like, oh, this is silly. So, you know, that's, it's, you know, genetics does play a, a big part of it. But again, then there's also the cravings that come in and how are we handling them um, and, you know, our, our food choices and day to day. And then I, I do believe I, I am a pro sleep. I, mean, I talk sleep hygiene with people. I know I'm a dietitian. I'm not a, a sleep doctor, but I am get your sleep because it does play such a role. Firstly, if you're tired, you're mm-hmm. not going to want to go on that 30 minute walk. You're going to want to lay in bed and watch Netflix. Yeah. You know, you're not going to wake up early and do the things you need to do. The other thing is they found that when you are tired, you get that munchy sensation. You want those carbs and think about it. Carbs, sugar, give you energy. It's going to increase it. So if you're not going for the coffee, cause you're like, oh my God, I've had so much coffee today. I'm going to put a hole in my stomach. You're mm-hmm. going to go for the candy. So when we're not sleeping well, we're, we're reaching for those things. Um, so that's why one of the main things I'll actually help somebody, like I'll give them a bedtime. Like, and I know it sounds so crazy. And I'm like, I have a bedtime. I think everybody, I've, I'd only re- like learned from this job that most people don't have bedtimes once they like past the age of 15. But I think that we need to, I need bed, I think bedtimes need to come back because they are wonderful things and they really help so that way you wake up the next morning and you're feeling like your best self. Uh, that that definitely makes sense. And I mean, like anybody who's like gotten a poor night's sleep and then gone to work the next day or gone to school or whatever it is, um, they know the importance of uh, <laughs> sleep. Oh, yeah. Um, and then um, like with regard to, say you get a patient coming to you and they're like, hey, I'm in pretty good shape. I sleep well. I um you know, my exercise routine is, you know, pretty average, but I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing light work. I, I'm really looking to either like increase my longevity. Like I want thinking long-term of like, how do I increase my lifespan or is, is there like any, like, do, do you have any thoughts on that? And then like, what, if so, what would like a general diet strategy look like? It's a, it's like a hard question. I don't really talk too much about that just again because longevity is hard to say lifespan we don't know food wise we know if we eat healthy and we have our core macros get those micronutrients which are your vitamins and minerals that you're going to get from your fruits and vegetables mm-hmm. we should live a generally a healthy life I don't really go into factors of longevity as much just because like to me there's so many things that go into longevity I just think it's mm-hmm. more or less like how can we live our life to the fullest so we're feeling our best? And to me, that's where I'll turn to somebody and say, let's focus on let's trying to make dinner four nights a week and then those other three nights going out with friends. Because to me, you can live, I know we've talked about this a few times at this point within our conversation, but you can live until you're 110 years old. But if you're only eating food that you're making and you're not going out, is that really a fun life to be living? Yeah, exactly. 
So yeah, so I, I really tried to more subscribe to, again, that 80-20 rule of like, let's cook, let's food shop, let's do those. Um, in terms of like lifespan, I just feel like there isn't just, topic. I'm like, sorry. I, I was just saying, it's a big topic. It's like, it I, 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 yeah, I don't know if somebody can give a, a quick answer or something like here are the five tips that, yeah, uh, imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have the, like in my hands right here, this is how you can live till I was going to say you would make a lot of money. <laughs> I would. <laughs> um, so I, I guess, um, it's summarizing here. It's like, you know, you want to have a diet that's sustainable, practical, enjoyable. You want to just continually get, you know, improve your diet. You don't want to work with a nutritionist. You want to work with a dietitian. Um, before we, uh, before we let you go, is there uh, any other like key factors or message or anything that you want to let the audience know about, or just anything you want to reiterate? Yeah. I mean, again, I just think enjoy your life. Like don't be so stuck on keto or intermittent fasting. If, if it doesn't feel like it's working for you or you feel like it is such stressor in your life, it's so not worth it. Like mm -hmm. focus on, it's really just like the fundamentals. Like if you think about the um, like cavemen, they didn't have those things. They ate carbs, they ate fats, they ate proteins, they made bread, they did what they, I'm pretty sure they made bread. <laughs> they did all that stuff, you know, <laughs> they weren't looking to do that. Our, our bodies want us, we want to treat our bodies with love and we want to treat it well. And the best way to do that is by giving it good whole foods and enjoying ourselves. Like, again, what would we rather like live a long life, but not never enjoy it or enjoy our life and maybe like live to the normal age group. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I really appreciate the time. Um, hashtag for the fans. This has been Rachel Lee of the New York Nutrition Group. Rachel, where can people find you? I'll put a link to whatever the yeah, wherever they can find you in the bio, but if you want to reiterate it here. So you can find me at the New York Nutrition Group's Instagram. Um, that's where they'll pop me up. And if you guys want to make an appointment with us, we are an insurance-based group, which is really awesome. So um, we take a lot of insurance carriers. So if you wanted to make an appointment with me or any of the other wonderful women that I work with, um, we're always happy to have you. And the beauty is hopefully insurance will cover it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. Well, Rachel, I, I really appreciate the time and, um, until next time. Yes. Thank you.